Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean and this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, Nancy and I are discussing a paper titled Oral Lesions in the Bit Area in Finnish Trotters After a Race. Lesion Evaluation, Scoring and Occurrence. This is by Kathy Tuamola et al. And this was requested by a listener, Varpu, who reached out after we had recorded our episode on rain tension in harness trotters. So that was a couple of weeks back, um, and that was by Egenval et al., I believe. So this paper is a nice follow-on from our rain tension paper, which mentions lesions, oral lesions that occur as well in the bit area. And we talked a lot about bit pressure and um, pressure under that rain tension. So in Tumola's paper, which we're looking at today, they have delved into this a little bit more. So they're looking at oral lesions in the bit area, which they say are really common in horses, but not comprehensively studied. So in this study, they describe the type and the occurrence of the oral soft tissue lesions. Um, and this is specific to trotters after racing. And based on their results, they then suggested a system for actually scoring the lesions according to size, type so whether it's a bruise or a wound age and depth so is it superficial lesion or is it a deep lesion and then the data was collected during a welfare program for trotters and this was carried out by the Finnish Trotting and Breeding Association and they had a huge um, sample size which is always great to see when we look at a research paper so they had 261 horses 151 of those are standard breads, 78 fin horses, and 32 ponies. And the rostral part of the mouth of these horses was examined after a race in a very systematic manner using a bright light source. The horse wasn't sedated and they didn't use a mouth gag. Because a mouth gag can obstruct your view of the oral cavity um, slightly. It'll obstruct your view of the gum and where it's placed that area of the teeth as well so they wanted to be able to get a full visual of the inside of the mouth and they then decided to group the horses so based on that score the horses were divided into four groups a to d so group a had no lesions group b were mild c were moderate and then d were really severe so of all the horses examined, 84% had acute lesions in the bit area. So acute means it's happened quite quickly. Chronic is more slow and over time. In total, 21% had mild lesions and 43% had moderate lesions. 20% had severe lesions. So visible bleeding outside the mouth was observed in six of the horses. And in 13 horses, there was blood on the bit when it was removed from the mouth, though no blood was visible outside the mouth. So quite a lot of information there in 
a quick overview, but Nancy and I are going to delve into this a little bit deeper. In conclusion, they found that soft tissue lesions in the bit area were common in Finnish trotters examined. And moreover, the absence of blood outside the mouth doesn't rule out serious injury inside the mouth. So we need to be checking post-racing for these lesions. So what were your thoughts, Nancy, on this paper? I thought it was um, a great idea to be able to have a scoring system that can be used across the board for all research dealing with oral lesions. And um, I thought it was great that they had certain locations listed as well. So like um, the lip um, commissures, uh, whether it was outside or inside, the bars of the mandible uh, were also looked at and then they were also palpated. And then the buccal area near the second upper premolar uh, teeth. They were checked and palpated, and then the tongue was checked, and then the hard palate. So not only did they do um, size, type, age of the wounds, and depth, but they also had a location. And I thought one of the best things about this paper is the video that was the supplemental attachment to this, and it actually has a video on how to inspect your horse's mouth. So um, a lot of horses have a lot of wrinkles within those cheek teeth area that um, the person, the examiner in the video, the one horse really had deep crevices and you could see him pulling that skin apart with um, gloved hands looking for those lesions. So it was a pretty informative video that I really appreciated uh, watching. Not that long, so you can learn from it in probably less than uh, two minutes. Yeah, I thought the visuals throughout the paper were excellent, but having that video just adds that extra element that makes it easier because the visuals, so when you actually read the paper, and it's one that I would recommend to everyone to have a read through, there's pictures of the different types of lesions and the different types of bruises. Really, really great because they use that bright light. They're nice, clear pictures of those wounds or those lesions inside the mouth. And you can see kind of the severity as well because they give them points on a scale depending on how severe they are. But having the video just adds that extra element of, I think, comprehension. It just makes it that bit easier as a horse owner to figure out exactly how you're going to approach doing this. Because we said they obviously weren't sedated and didn't have a mouth gag. And the tongue was just held outside the mouth to one side, which is a very typical hold that we would do to be able to stop the horse and um, biting down when we're looking in their mouth. And um, also just to note for these, I had a little note here now, it's just gone from my head as I was about to say is. Um, oh no, it's gone. It'll, I'm sure it's going to come back to me any minute now. It'll but, come um, And you know what? Um, the one thing, Kate, when you were giving all the um, percentages of mild, moderate and severe lesions, I quickly added it up and you get 
the 84%. Well, that means no lesions were only in 16% of the horses. So, um, you know, that's a pretty low percentage, right? Yeah, that and the thing is, because it's post-racing, there's going to be more pressure than, say, post-training, for example. So, you know, that is going to increase the risk of lesions. Um, but it, it was interesting. I mean, they did point out that they didn't examine prior to racing, which is important. They said that is their um, the one limitation of this study. So they didn't want to disturb the competitors prior to the race. Yeah. But a different researcher found that 77 horses that were examined before and after competition of those 43% already had lesions before. And the thing with these lesions, though, while that is a limitation, you can tell and certainly a veterinary professional can tell whether a lesion is acute, as I mentioned, or chronic. So 43% might have had existing lesions, but you can tell whether they're fresh or whether they've been there for some time, depending on what stage of healing they're in. So I think, you know, they were still able to get really good um, data out of this without having done that before. And actually, what I was going to say just came back to me there. So they, when they were holding the tongue to look in the horse's mouth, I was just going to mention that they didn't do this immediately after the race. They needed to give the horses time to get their heart rates back down. You don't want to be stressing your horse after exercise when their oxygen uptake is a lot higher. They're trying to breathe at a quicker rate. You don't want to go then pulling their tongue to one side and opening their mouth and hindering their ability to breathe, to have a look. This can wait. So they waited anywhere between five to 20 minutes for the horses to be totally relaxed before they carried out this examination. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting too that 5% of the horses had blood on the bit when it was removed from the mouth, even though no blood was visible outside the mouth. And then um, 2% actually had visible bleeding outside the mouth. So um, more, they just wanted to point out that the absence of blood outside the mouth does not rule out serious injuries going on inside the mouth. So uh, really good, as Kate said, graphics that can help you distinguish a bruise from a wound, uh, a chronic a lesion versus um, acute, and then also the depth of it, whether it's just superficial or deep. And you know, if they continue to um, be ridden or raced with these lesions, at one point, does superficial become deep? And mm -hmm. I think that's what the whole paper was pointing out that, you know, there would be nothing wrong with letting the wounds heal between races, or once people acknowledge that yes, this horse does have bit related lesions. Yeah, and I think 5% like when we think percentage wise, we're like, okay, it's not a huge percentage. But then when you just think about individual horses, you know, yes, there was 261 horses, but for 13 of those to have blood on the bit when the bit comes out of their mouth, like that's alarming. And yeah. um, to me, to even have one horse have blood on the bit, never mind blood coming out of their mouth 
at the end of a race. That's really alarming. And what I this is why I loved this paper, because when you can actually score something and you can put like some hard evidence behind it, it makes it easier to improve things. Like we see that with um, pain scoring, like that's come forward so far. And we do that in horses now where we can actually score their level of pain. We've got grimace scales that we've mentioned. Um, this has become a bigger area in dogs and cats where we have larger pain scores. So there's like a number of points that we run through and a number of pictures that we can look at. And once you can really use something that's definitive like that, you end up getting more power behind the decisions that are made and we can improve welfare from it. So I always think when a step is made in this direction, you know, we're using data to really back up, okay, we're going to have to make some improvements to these bits. And it might be when we look into it further, it might be breed specific or, you know, it could be that that specific type of bit doesn't work for this kind of racing. Yeah. And actually on that point, Nancy, do you remember what they said was the most common bit they use? I don't. I, I would assume a snaffle, but I'm not positive. You know, I don't know if it even said Kate did it. Maybe I imagine that, but I'll have a quick yeah. look through because I thought I'd read somewhere what kind of bit that they were raced in. Yeah, let me look through here real quick here. I did not make a note of that at least um let's see here i know the horses ranged in age from three to 15 um ordinary harness racing um oh i have it here okay single jointed bits were the most common okay so 195 of the horses had single joints and then a straight bit type um that was 18% of the horses, so 48 of them. And then double jointed bit type was 7%. The number of horses examined in this study represents 3.6 of all the trotters that competed in 2017 in Finland, which is fascinating. Like yeah. 261 horses is less than 4% of all the horses that competed that year in Finland. Wow. Um, so yeah, it was the where did I say that again? Single jointed, most common. That was seventy five percent of horses. Yeah, and that that's usually um, in racing. It would be like a D ring snaffle bit, um, but straight bits. Man, that really surprises me. That would be eighteen percent use those, and then double jointed seven percent. So. Um, the single jointed definitely much more control under racing conditions, but that's the one that kind of breaks towards the roof of the mouth. So you can get them where they break towards the back. Um, mm -hmm. but, um, usually, you know, it's, it would be my choice if I was galloping a horse on the track is to use a snaffle bit. So, but um, anyway, that, good point on that I didn't even really read that or write it down it just kind of popped into my head there because I remember seeing it and I thought the straight bar was interesting too because I didn't think horses were particularly raced in those yeah I'm not in thoroughbred racing but um you know I don't really even use a straight bar 
uh, in pleasure riding, I use more of the uh, double jointed, like French link type, yeah. but smaller. So it's not so um, heavy on them. But um, I thought uh, another good point, if you know, you download this paper or take a look at it, it is open access to have a watch of the video and how to do a proper um, examination for these bit lesions, but then also look at the data sheet. I really thought that could be so useful to just do an examination um, maybe every couple of months during your riding season and then maybe once during the winter just to look for these lesions and have a good record of when they popped up how long it took to heal them. And one uh, method I've used on the racetrack is just to do a saltwater solution and run that over their, um, you know, squirt it in their mouth to clean any lesions. Um, in racing, we do use tongue ties. So sometimes that can um, be a source of where a horse bites its tongue. Um, and so we would always heal that rather quickly. And I'm thinking within 10 to 14 days of yeah. using a warm salt solution rinse in their mouth. And uh, I think everybody on the racetrack has a syringe that you can mix that in and wash that mouth out with it. And how much salt do you put to your water, Nancy, to put you under pressure for ratios? <laughs> know what i i just kind of probably to estimate it maybe to the syringes are huge and they're metal so um to mix it up maybe a couple tablespoons in there and then say uh go ahead and add your warm water and then uh if you want to use a 40 mil syringe or 40 cc that's hand, that's easy, easy to handle. You don't have to use one of the big metal ones, but uh, it makes it a lot easier if you get a nice stainless steel syringe to do these mouthwash um, type things in. Yeah. Brilliant. And salt water really is just such an unsung hero for healing these kinds of things. Well, and even when a horse comes back and, and they need, um, you know, they've been racing, you undo the tongue tie, you remove the, the bridle, we always rinse out their mouth, whether they have any lesions or not. It's just kind of, of something we do to kind of refresh them. And, um, you know, they, they um, get a lot of saliva built up running on the bit so we just rinse that out it's just good hygiene and it's no harm too to replace some of those electrolytes that they've lost yeah usually i end up wearing most of it but yeah <laughs> but on your point as well nancy about checking twice a year um this paper will be particularly useful like even if you just save the link somewhere or always know that we'll have the links on our episodes so you can find it that way. But if you ever change bit in your horse, it's something that will be important to do this check afterwards and just make sure that that bit is suiting your horse and it's well fitted and your bridle's well fitted. We've talked about that in past episodes too. Um, and just, yeah, to ensure it actually suits your horse and it's not too heavy or it's not causing more problems. 
And remember, uh, this is my, I say it every time we mention bits, you can have a severe bit in soft, soft hands and it mm-hmm. won't be that severe, but you can have a very gentle and mild bit in the wrong hands and it can be a severe bit. So um, just remember that, you know. And I love that expression because we always explain that to the students that when we're talking about, um, particularly in dog handling, you know, we ask them what the best form of restraint is when we're talking about harnesses or collars or halties. Like there's so many options out there. And we always drive home that even a standard collar and a lead can be a really adversive piece of restraint in the wrong hands so you're just like spot on it's it's about you it's about your education in the pressure you apply the way you interact with the animal what you're asking them to do if that's within their remit like how often you sometimes see horses being like really terrified to do something and really kind of being forced into doing it with a heavy hand or a heavy foot when we need to reapproach entirely that training methods um so i just love that expression that you know a mild bit in the wrong hands can obviously cause quite a bit of damage yep yep and i think that's all i had kate thank you um to the listener for recommending this and um i just love the video in the data sheet well you know i always say what you can measure you can manage so this is yeah. a good example that's a great note to finish it on. And um, we've got some more research requests that are coming through for the next couple of weeks, but we're always welcome to any areas you might be interested in. And we've mentioned before, but you don't need to be very specific. You don't need to know a researcher you want us to look up. You can just give us a broad area and tell us what it is you'd like to know a little bit more on. And Nancy and I'll do some digging and see what we can find. Okay, well, thanks so much, Kate. This was a good paper, and uh, I'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye.